So many great things are happening right now in this church. I'd just like us to take a moment to take a deep breath and just think about everything that's been happening since January. We started off the year challenging you with the, what we call the Landmark Family Five. Uh, these are a way for you to get involved in our church and to mature in our church. And your response has just been awesome. I, mean, I was walking around a few moments ago during Bible class just to see all these classes just full of people. Some of you told me I'm a little worried to go into Bible class because someone might ask me a question. I don't feel that knowledgeable. Let me tell you, nobody's going to put you on the spot but you can go in there and grow deeper in God's Word. Thank you for responding to that. We've also seen a great increase in our small group attendance. Uh, We've had a new group actually form, uh, one led by Zane Kirkland, one of our shepherds, and Stephen Hicks. And if you're looking for a group, that'd be a great group for you. So lots of good things happening there. We've been a part of a couple marriage conferences, and we'll have another marriage conference coming up really, really soon that we'd like to challenge you as we try to strengthen marriages. We've also been uh, doing a lot of praying together. Nathan did a great job talking about that original prayer night. And one thing we've always missed out on as a church that I'm so excited about is establishing a regular prayer time. And we're going to start doing it every other month on the first Wednesday of the month. The next one is March the 1st. Hope you'll plan on participating in that because when God and man make contact in prayer, things change. It's powerful. We've also set a goal to use our Life Center more, and you'll see some reports on that soon. We've been able to get involved in something around Montgomery called Hoops League. And we just sort of got our, our feet wet this year, but we are going to go full force next year and use this Life Center for more and more outreach. Last week, we talked a lot about missions around the world, and we were able to explain a lot of our local missions. And you have a, a card in your copy of Lifelines. Maybe you said, I want to get involved down in inner city or hope-inspired ministry. Here's a card that gives you the opportunities to do that. One of the most exciting things happened last hour is friends speak. You don't have to be a college student to be a part of this, but all you have to do is be willing to go in there and help someone by reading the gospel in English. So we also have a seminar coming up for this in just a few weeks. So lots of good things going on. Sign up to join in on those things. Let's go to our series then on on God. Excuse me. By the way, last Sunday, you gave $202,794 toward missions. Don't need to skip that. Wow, how exciting. And I hope we'll all come through with our pledges we made. But let me say this, because of your generosity, we're able to respond to things like the, the travesty going on right now in Turkey. Because of your generosity, we were able to give $15,000 to our people on the ground there to be able to help. Thank you so much for that. Well, now, let's do start our, our series on God. We're doing something that sounds almost impossible. As mortal human beings, we're trying to explain the immortal. As finite people, we're trying to explain to God who's infinite. Now, the good news is we've discovered this scripture where Moses says, God, tell me what you're like. And God answers the question. So we're studying from Exodus chapter 34. I want to ask you to stand as we read this passage out of reverence. Now, as you're looking here, go go to the first slide there. I I mentioned something to you, and this is all capitalized so it doesn't stand out. 
Anybody remember what we learned two weeks ago? If you see the word Lord capitalized in your Bible, what does it actually mean? Yahweh. Boy, you guys are good. Yahweh. That's the personal name for God. It's the name of God that indicates God wants to be close to you on a name-to-name basis. So listen as we read God's description of himself. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. You may be seated. Now here's what I want you to see this morning. The first thing God says about himself, and listen to me, in the Hebrew language, order is very important. You put the most important thing first. The first thing God says about himself is he's compassionate and gracious. Compassionate and gracious. It's almost like if someone asks you, well, what is your personality type? And you've taken the Myers-Briggs test. It always starts out with whether you're an extrovert or an introvert because that's so important to understand you. God says the most important thing you need to know about me as you're trying to get to know me is that I'm compassionate and gracious. Now, these words are paired together. They're almost like two pieces of a puzzle. And the two words are used together because they explain each other and make an even more beautiful meaning together. So for just a moment, we're going to pull them apart and then we're going to put them back together and see what that says to you and I today. First of all, let's talk about what that first part means. Compassion means parental love. It's the kind of love a parent has for their child. Let me give you a couple examples in scriptures of this. Remember that crazy story where these two women come to Solomon and they're arguing over whose baby is whose? And Solomon, being the wise man, says something sounds cruel, but was very wise. He said, okay, guys, if y'all can't make up whose baby is, let's just cut this baby down the middle and let's hand it to each of you. And then the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved. There's our word, compassion. Deeply moved. She's moved from within out of love for her son instead of the king. Please, Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him cut him in two. It was very obvious who the real mom was because of her deep, strong, parental love. A mother has that kind of love for their children. Any of you dads feeling a little bit left out here, the Bible uses the same words to describe us. Look at the 103rd Psalm. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. There's our same word, compassion. It's that feeling word. It's God's heart goes out to us. Now, if you're a parent, I would almost guarantee you, you understand this. Because when you had that first baby, there was a love within you that you never knew existed. I can remember when our oldest, Laurel, was born, just thinking, I've never loved anyone like this. And as you watch your children grow up, your heart goes out for them. If you see your children struggle, often you say to God, put it on me, not on my child. I remember when our daughter, Laurel, went off to college. We were all upset. It was our first child to go off to college. And so we were, we were worried about that. It felt so weird for her not to be under our roof each night. 
And so we're, 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 we're having a hard time. We're the ones crying. And then a few weeks in, we figure out she is really, really, really homesick. And she is really, really struggling. And it, it went on for a while. And so in that, our hearts aren't worried about us anymore. It's like, oh my goodness, we just want our baby to be happy. And so as soon as she's not homesick, we're okay. Why? Because you have that parental love that just feels what your child's going through. And your heart goes out for them. That's how God is about you. Now, the other side of our two words is gracious. Compassionate describes the parental love of God. Gracious is the action love of God. It's that God shows mercy. Look at a couple passages on that. Exodus 22. They've taken someone's coat for interest, and it's cold at night, and God wants to come to their rescue. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, that's God, I will hear, for I am gracious. That's our word. God's gracious. He sees someone who's pledged their coat, and they're cold at night, and he wants to come to their rescue. Another passage where God's people are simply about to be annihilated by the enemy. God can handle this with his children. But the Lord was gracious to them, there's our word, and had compassion and so concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, he's been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. What's it say? When God sees his people, as much as they deserve it, about to be banished from the earth, God comes to their rescue. So let's put these words back together. We've got compassionate and we've got gracious. Compassionate is that parental love. Gracious is showing mercy. Compassionate is the feeling word. Gracious is the action word. So when you put them together, my friends, you have something extremely powerful. You have a God who not only feels for you in what you're going through, that's amazing enough. You have a God who is actively coming to your rescue. Here's the way I'd put it. Here's what God would say to you and I, putting these two words together. I love you as my child, and I'm willing to fight for our relationship. I love you, and I'm, if you walk away from me, you rebel against me. Oh, am I going to force you in this relationship? No, because then it wouldn't be a relationship. But I'm telling you what, I am willing to go to the ends of the earth to find you and to save you. Now listen, before we go any further, here's what you got to see. I hope you understand this morning. This is how God feels about you. He loves you. He's willing to fight for you and him to have a great relationship. Now, let's just back up for a minute here, guys. Because maybe we've heard this enough that it's not too shocking to us. But what we're seeing here in God's first description of himself, it's a stunning view of God. All throughout history. For Moses, I mean, if you read about the gods surrounding Moses when he wrote this, they were finicky, they were mean, they were temperamental, they were vengeful. 
You just offered sacrifices, hoping to get them off your back. You might even, some of these gods around Moses, sacrifice your child just to keep God at bay. And so for Moses to come and say, okay, God, describe yourself. And God says, here's the first, first picture. I'm compassionate and gracious. It was absolutely stunning. And then when we go through the Old Testament, many of us would probably have to confess that we struggle with some of the stories in the Old Testament. There's some pictures of God that I have a, a real problem with. But don't mistake this, that this other side of God is not in the Old Testament. It's all over the place. There's all kinds of stories about grace. Some of us, it seems to me, believe that between the New Testament and the Old Testament, God repented and he became a Christian. And everything changed. My friends, God's always been the same. Now, let me just highlight one story from the Old Testament. You remember the story of Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. Now, now what's the deal here? Nineveh is the Babylonian capital. These are some of the cruel, meanest people in the history of the world. And they've been awful to God's people. And so Jonah does not want to go. And so Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, heads to Tarshish. You see, Tarshish was as far as he could go with Spain in the old world and be away in God. Nineveh was the opposite direction. And so he's like, God, I'm not going. Why won't he go? You'll find out in a minute. You'll find out why he won't go. And so he runs. Well, you, you know the story. I mean, the poor guy is thrown over deck. He's swallowed by fish. He lives in seaweed for three days. And finally, he's vomited on the beach. You think that might change you, okay? And it changes him. That he decides to go and actually to do what God asked him to do. And so he goes to Nineveh, and God gives him an awful sermon to preach. I'd, I'd hate to have this assignment. The Lord says, I want you to go, and here's what I want you to say. Forty more days, and then Nineveh will be overthrown. So he goes, and he preaches. And the Ninevites repent. And God, the Bible says, relents. The, the word literally there is God changes his mind. He, he planned on destroying them. But when they come to him, God changed his mind and God forgave him. Now, now, pay close attention to what I'm about to say. This is what Jonah was afraid of. He knew that God was full of compassion and grace. And so listen to what he said. Chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. God, I... And listen to this. See, see if you've heard this so far today. I knew, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. What's he saying? God, I know your, your character. I know Exodus 34. I know the dominant characteristic of you is that you're gracious and you're compassionate. And I knew if I went to these terrible people and they repented, you might change your mind. That was stunning to him. How could God be gracious even to God's enemies? And then we get further into the New Testament, and it, it happens over and over again. We see it in the character of Jesus. He loves people he's not supposed to love. He forgives people who seem to be unforgivable. The most famous story in the New Testament is when Jesus gave the story of the prodigal son. 
He's the party animal who rejects his dad and goes off in the far country and parties until he spent all of his dad's money. Finally, waking up in a pigsty, the Bible says he comes to his senses and he comes back to his dad thinking, there's no way God, the dad, that's who uh, the dad represents. There's no way dad's going to let me back in the family, but at least I could go be a slave in his land. And so as he approaches, his dad's been looking and his dad runs to him, embraces him and restores him to the family. And we go, that's the story of the prodigal son. And then we go further and we see the older brother. And the older brother, this self-righteous, perfect dude who's done all the right things, is so mad that after all his little brother has done, the dad's accepting him back when he had been the faithful one. And then we go, no, it's not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the older brother, the self-righteous older brother. I'm telling you, my friends, it's not the story of either of them. The focus of this story is on a loving, compassionate God. And then we just keep on looking all through Scripture, and there he is. And even if we could be honest, in our day today, most of us struggle with seeing God in this light. But I want to share something with you that's, to me, very, very revealing. There was a survey done among Americans a few years ago. And here's what they asked in the survey. If you were to sit down one-on-one with God, just you and God, what do you think he would say to you? Here are the four top answers. Number one, I'm disappointed in you. I thought you knew better. I expected better. It just really, really hurts me to see that you have made these kind of choices when I gave you an opportunity to live a good, good life. I've taught you better than this. I'm just so, so disappointed. The second answer was I'm angry at you. God's just with clenched teeth. I cannot believe you did this. I've given you every opportunity to live your life in a good way, and you make these stupid choices, and I'm just, I'm just so disgusted that you could do that. You know better, and I'm not sure I can get over this. You ever felt God might be that way towards you? The third answer is even scarier to me, is I'm glad I caught you. It's a smug God who says, you know, I've been watching. I knew you'd screw it up. You've just been a screwball your whole life. And I, I knew if I watched long enough, I, I, I would see some really bad things in you. And honestly, I'm glad I caught you so I can just be through with you. And then the fourth answer might be even more scary. The fourth answer was if God were to sit one-on-one with me, he would say nothing. He wouldn't even acknowledge me. My friends, those are some scary views of God. And that's the reason that God revealed himself to Moses and over and over with this same picture. I'm a compassionate and gracious God. That's who I am. Now, can he get angry? Yes. We'll talk about that next week. Yes, that's a part of his personality. God's multifaceted. But his dominant characteristic His go-to baseline emotion is compassion and grace. Man, I hope you can get that this morning. I hope I can get it because I'm telling you guys, sometimes I don't. 
Sometimes if I could be really, really honest with you this morning, sometimes I get it for you more than I get it for me. I mean, I don't care what you've done. Normally I can be pretty forgiven, but some of the things I've done in my life are really hard for me to forgive myself. And guys, because of this false view of God, we, we, we have some issues. Let's just talk about two of them this morning before we close. First of all, if, if you don't have this, this beautiful view of God, you may find it hard to extend mercy. Can, can I ask you, who it is in your life that you're carrying a grudge to? Who do you need to forgive who are you struggling that just annoys the fire out of you? Who did you wrong? And yet Jesus said, if you can't forgive them, I can't forgive you. Who are those people in your life? Now let me say this, guys. If you've not received this kind of radical mercy, it's really hard to give. And for those of you that are wearing a ring on your fourth finger of your left hand, more than likely the person that you need to forgive is probably your spouse. You know, you know the key to successful marriage is you just forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. A successful marriage is when you just finally stop counting. Because it's the person that closest to you that can actually hurt you the most. And yet, if you've received this grace from God, this mercy from God, if you understand this morning that God has forgiven the unforgivable in you so that now you can forgive the unforgivable in others, I'm not saying this is easy, but I am saying it's powerful. But before that, most of us, because we have this false view of God who's mad at us, disappointed us, disgusted with us, we live weighed down by sin. We just live life weighed down by sin and by guilt. You know, guys, when we talk about guilt today, people will say something like this is, you should never feel guilty. Well, that's not the truth. Guilt is a great tool for God. But guilt is always meant to be temporary. It's meant to get your attention, to get you to get your hand off the stove, to pull away, and to do different. But what Satan does is Satan does take something that's actually a tool of God to keep you on the right path, and he turns it into a lifestyle where I, I constantly live with guilt. And so if you're not careful, you just sort of go through life just picking up more and more things. This weigh you down. When you lied back as a kid to get yourself out of trouble, and you still remember that. When you cheated on that test, you just added another rock. You plagiarized that paper. There's another one. You came to a point in life where you were unfaithful to your spouse. You did things that you never, ever dreamed that you could possibly do to the person you loved the most. Or maybe... You were so busy in your career, you neglected your children, and you're paying the price. And all through life, it's that addiction to pornography, it's that constant looking for someone to lust after, doesn't even have to be pornography. And the bag just gets fuller and fuller and fuller. And before long, you've robbed God of what belongs to him.
and the bag gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You said those words to someone you love that you just can't quite get over. And so before long, friends, we're carrying this sack along with guilt. And, and, and somehow we feel like maybe it's sort of righteous. I need to punish myself. No, 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 you don't. Jesus already took your punishment, right? But I get to be weighed down by this. Maybe it doesn't completely stop me. But I call this some um, low-level guilt, just this constant nagging feeling that I'm not who I should be and that I'm ashamed of what I've done and I, I can't quite release it. And no, it doesn't stop me, but man, it's, it's wearing on my back everywhere I go. And guys, that's why we need this incredible picture of a God who says to you, I love you as my child and I'm gonna fight for this relationship to be right. Have you met that God? Have you understood how much that he loves you? My friends, are you carrying around this bag right now? Are just accumulation of all the things you've done in your life that you're ashamed of? We all have it. But the good news is that the most dominant description of God is he's compassionate, he sees it, and he sees how messed up you are. And he hurts with you. And he's gracious. He takes action. He came on the cross to rescue you. And because of this, Scripture says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. What kind of throne does God sit on? It's a throne of grace, of forgiveness. And he says we can approach it with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's Exodus 34. It's a God of compassion and it's a God of grace. It's a God who wants to help. So my friend, if you're carrying this around today, this is not God's will for your life. And this morning we're about to sing a song and I wanna invite you if you're carrying around this load of guilt, you know what the Bible says to do? Confess your sins. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. Uh, James chapter 5 says, you really need some healing. Sometimes you need to get it out from yourself and confess it to somebody. And maybe this is the morning that you're tired of carrying this load and you want to drop it right at the foot of the cross. And maybe the, the first thing you've got to do is this, this picture that God has given us of himself is you've got to embrace that he's a God who loves you like you love your child. And he wants to rescue you. He doesn't want you to keep living this way. And this morning, there's something you need to confess before this church and for us to pray about with confidence to a merciful God who sits on a throne of grace. Why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?